Everyone has a dream that fills their heart. A journey they must take. A destiny to fulfill. As close as your imagination exists a magical place where wondrous creatures with incredible powers help make dreams come true. It's the world of Pokémon. Welcome to Now Playing's Pokémon Retrospective Series. Prepare for more trouble than you've ever seen. And make it double, we're on the big screen. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Nuts of the game. Hosted by Arnie. So you're addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Another round, extra shot. I guess nine, thank you, sweetie. Justin. Get me the hell out of here. And Stuart. To them, this is just one more challenge. They follow their hearts. That is what sets them apart and will make them Pokemon masters. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. This is what a Frenchman would call caliente fiesta. Listener discretion is advised. We're going to do this, you and me. Today we're discussing Pokemon, Detective Pikachu, starring Ryan Reynolds, Justice Smith, Catherine Newton, Suki Waterhouse, Omar Chaparro, Chris Gere, Ken Watanabe, and Bill Nye, directed by Rob Letterman. This is the now playing co-host with a generous tongue, Arnie. Grumpy on the outside, adorable inside, it's Stuart. And this is Justin. Finally feel like I've caught them all, or at least all the ones I care to catch at this point. Yeah, we're at the last Pokestop. The real one, the one that told us we would have to go back and find animated movies to watch to build up to Detective Pikachu. Now this is a game. Each week, we try to feature a different Pokemon game. Here's one that I suspect I might like, if in fact it is a detective game. How much of it is a Pokemon game, Arnie? It's weird to me, because I had not heard of Detective Pikachu the game before I'd heard of Detective Pikachu the movie. But I went out, I got it, it was for the 3DS, and I was doubly shocked because it came up copyright 2018. I'm like... Wow, did they make it in parallel? Did they just release it early? Is it, like, supposed to be a movie tie-in game like Mm -hmm. they do? Well, I forgot. Over in Japan, it was released in 2016. It took a while for its worldwide release and to be translated into English. But it's a totally different Pokemon game than any other. And it is the first game to feature a talking Pokemon, where you have a Pikachu who can speak English that only your character Tim can understand. Okay. And Tim's father is dead or missing, and you have to go with this Pikachu and solve mysteries and try to figure it out. And I'm surprised. It involves the drug R and Mewtwo. Okay. All right. They really paralleled the plot of this movie quite a bit off of the plot of that game. There was even a reporter who helps out. There are differences, and there's a lot more detail. I loved the style of it. It was an adventure game, and I like adventure games. Yeah, me too. 
I go back to my favorite of all time, the first Gabriel Knight, The Sins of the Father. And I look at that kind of thing when I want a really good adventure game. I loved how this game personified the Pokemon, where because Pikachu can talk to Pokemon, you can interrogate an Apom or interrogate a Swablu, you know, and have them just in their daily life. You're not trying to catch anything. You're not trying to fight anything. You're just trying to talk to it. And you see an Apom hanging out in a tree. But... It was so simplistic. It really felt geared for, like, eight-year-olds. Like, boy's first adventure game. Well, I mean, that might be right. I mean, this might be the first adventure game you play before you graduate to the more adult ones. I mean, Pokemon probably works as that stair step. Yeah, it really did a lot of hand-holding. Pikachu himself would be like... Why'd you go over there and do that thing if you spend too long not doing that thing? And there's a lot of what I call pixel hunting, which I've never liked in adventure games, where you're literally just walking around. You have to search the bushes for a Poochina. And so I'm going around, like, just randomly running into bushes until it finally gives me the little icon that says I'm at a bush where I can do something. I found it slow and I didn't beat it, but reading reviews, a lot of people say it's too short and too easy. I would agree with slow and easy, but I liked the story, just it didn't catch me in an adventure game way because, like, you found a black feather, and you're like, this black feather belongs to one of four Pokemon, and it lists them, and I'm like, well, it's obviously the Murkrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yet, I can't just go to the Murkrow. I have to, like, go and talk to all the other birds first and get their feathers, and Pikachu's like... Well, this feather's gray. It's not black. It's mm-hmm. not a match. And so, yeah. I mean, looking at the screenshots, it does look like it is aimed at a younger audience. I mean, maybe like fifth, sixth, seventh graders. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it ended up with so much of the similar plot lines in regards to everything except for the end twist of this movie. And it takes place in this bright daylight happy space as compared to this movie which feels like this is what happened to Blade Runner when the Pokemon invaded. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not a phenomenon. They base a movie on it because it was the property that was out at that time. If they had developed a different game we might be getting a different movie. Well, they wanted to do a movie that did not have Ash in it. They felt like it's time to move the Pokemon universe away from Ash. All right, I was really wondering that. You know, we had even hypothesized that maybe Team Rocket would show up in here. They're not going to. No, there's no teams. There's no Poke tournaments. I can't say there was no Poke battles. Yeah, they sneak one in here. But that was the Pokemon company's big feel was that they needed to bring in somebody other than Ash. And so they had this game that they developed and they just realized this would be an interesting premise to go for a movie. And the talking Pikachu, apparently that was a concept from the 90s or early 2000s. They were going to have a different anime series where the Pokemon could talk and they scrapped that idea. But they thought if the concept was right, a talking Pikachu could work. So they spent a long time designing the characters and figuring out the Pokemon and how they They would look real life. And then unlike previous video game movies we've discussed where the company signs off and says, you own my video game, go make the movie. This is pretty much a Pokemon company movie. You saw the Pokeball logo with the film studio titles at the top. They were very protective of their franchise. They wanted to be sure that this showed it in the right light. They were involved in almost every decision. Rob Letterman had to work closely with them and sell them on a lot of ideas. Rob Letterman 
I think what I've seen of his is Shark Tale. Yeah, Rob Letterman is an animator who has graduated to kids entertainment. He made a quasi-live-action Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black and the Goosebumps movie. That one I actually did see, where they tried to throw in all of R.L. Stein's books into one big house party, basically. It worked okay, I suppose, if you like that book series, if you're the right age. I don't know enough about him other than he seems to have credentials for making children's entertainment. And clearly, if you're making Detective Pikachu, you say Blade Runner, but they're not going to go that noir. It's not going to be that dark, maybe darker than the anime we've seen, but they want to make sure that the youngest audience members get served here. So they found a director to do that and a star to do that. Well, when I say dark, I mean literally it takes place at night and there's a lot of neon in the city. I don't mean emotionally dark. As for the star, you know, I wanted to see this. I really wanted to see Ryan Reynolds go all Andy Circus and be on the set and doing the mocap for Pikachu. No, much like the Guardians of the Galaxy, they did this whole film and then they got Ryan Reynolds to do voiceover pretty late into the game from what I can understand. They just knew they needed a star to be Pikachu, but the script was what the script was and there was another person doing the mocap on set and being a stand-in Pikachu. Yeah, I wasn't talking about Ryan Reynolds. I, the star is Justice Smith, in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you went there as if Ryan was the focus of this movie. I think you can ignore that he's involved. The advertisements tell you he's the star. But I do think it's kind of what you said last week, Justin, about, you know, you have a son that is now 20-something that used to love Pokemon. They're clearly going for that audience by casting this actor as someone that used to want to be a collector and now has a day job and insurance and has real life woes and is thinking about that time of his childhood again. I think that that's who they're targeting with this movie. People that grew up in the 90s loving Pokemon drifted away and maybe they can be caught and brought back to the series. What shocked me? This movie's PG. I forgot there was a PG rating. I thought it went straight from G to PG-13. But they did drop the 13 from this. I think they're going for all audiences. But yeah, I saw this with Marjorie, who, unfortunately, it's kind of like I said, I'm just going to try heroin once for the show, dear. And she's like, well, me too. And now she's a junkie. She got back on the Pokemon Go train. and Oh, no. This is going to be like (laughs) Sid and Nancy. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to come over and all your Marvel stuff's going to be in the closet. You're going to be with Jigglypuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then we went, of course, with Ryan. Your Pokemon friend. Yes. Yes. We've talked about him when we did the board games and things. So he had to be at this film opening night. Sold out theater. I couldn't believe it. Every seat taken. Now, I gotta ask, since we don't really have a Pokemon fan on this show, I've tried to play that role, but was he going arms folded like, oh, I don't like what they've done to my series, or was he really excited to see them try this? He was really excited. You said you can't imagine any of the Pokemon people who love Deadpool. He loves Deadpool, and he couldn't imagine anything better than Deadpool as Pikachu. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I took my son Tyler, he's 24, and he was very excited to get to this movie, despite the fact that Ryan Reynolds was in it. Like, he is kind of over the whole Deadpool thing. Just because his dad has a Deadpool tattoo, is that why? It's possible, but I also think (laughs) that age group is a little bit more jaded with the whole comic book movie stuff. I think they're ready for something new, and Pokemon is that, and then I feel like a little bit of that is like, oh, and you're injecting comic bookness into this to kind of grab maybe a little bit of the older audience which would be us 
So I think it does two things. I would have gone to see this movie with or without Ryan Reynolds, but to me, hearing that he's in it kind of gave it a little bit of legitimacy going in. Yeah, you need a movie star. I agree. If they did not have an above-the-title name to put on this, I think it would only be attractive to the youngest members of the audience. I don't think anybody 30 or older would go for it. If you didn't grow up with Pokemon, it would be telling you this is not for you. I saw it with a very small audience. I mentioned last week, I bought the first ticket available on Thursday, which was four o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't think people, don't they have jobs? Don't they have (laughs) something to do? There were no children in my audience. There was about 10 people. How many of them were at the Pokemon tournament we went to? One. (laughs) (laughs) And I stayed far away. I'm like, oh, don't recognize me, please. I don't want to be like that guy that really screwed up the tournament. That loser that apparently didn't know anything about Pokemon and is now showing up on the opening night for a show. Like, <laughs> I just felt very, very self-conscious, so I crept into the back. But yeah, they were there. There was also people like holding EVs and wearing caps. And I wouldn't call it cosplay per se, but they were clearly fans and they were all 25 or older. My audience was all over the map age-wise, but there was a lot of families, I would say. Parents who came, more than one parent. So it wasn't the, oh, the kid wants to go, you take him, honey. There were both parents and children of all ages. So I guess I was at Ringling Brothers. My theater, we went at the 645, so not the first showing in the afternoon, but I was surprised how few kids were in my theater. We had... A pretty packed theater. It wasn't to the rafters or anything, but it was mostly 20-somethings and 30-somethings. Not a lot of kids. Yeah, I am reminded constantly, even though in my head this was a property for eight-year-olds, it really is not. It's not exclusively for children, and at this point, it's been around long enough that its hardcore fans are probably 20s. You gotta think, hopefully, that they've been able to bring in new fans, and I say hopefully for the longevity of their own franchise, I don't care. But yeah, there are the fans like Ryan who have stuck around with it for 20 years. And I feel this movie does a decent job of trying to be all things to all people. Well, let's talk about that. If there's a controversy connected to this movie, I couldn't find too many. It's the fact that they're going to launch this at the head of summer. Like this is a big tent pole and they're going to go up against Avengers. They have some hope, and I guess listeners already know the answer to this, that they're going to beat Endgame this weekend at the box office for the first time of Endgame's run. I'm not convinced of that. I think it had an okay opening, but what's it projected to do? They were tracking it at 80 million, if you can believe it. Wow. But we're recording on Saturday morning. They're now have a revised estimate of $60 million, and it did beat Endgame for Friday box office. It's the first time Endgame didn't hold the number one for a day. If that continues, obviously Endgame will be number two to Ryan Reynolds. Wow. I'm still going to put my chips on Captain America and Tony Stark. I think that while there is going to be some initial interest, I think in America, at least, this is an up pill battle to sell for a major summer all audiences entertainment i think it will probably gross low here and then do gangbusters in asia you know another slight little controversy was in this week leading up ryan reynolds tweeted out a link to a leaked (laughs) version of this movie what yeah and if you went to the link it showed the actual opening credits of the movie and followed by two hours of an animated dancing pikachu 
Oh, okay. All right. That's kind of funny. It was something you couldn't look away from. And I did like the meme where they took actual 80s VHS aerobics workout footage and intermixed it with that and intercut and saw that they were doing the same thing. Again, I wish Ryan Reynolds had done mocap. I would love nothing more than to see the mocap of Ryan Reynolds doing this dance that they animated Pikachu as. I mean, if you've ever seen James Gunn's recording, he did the dance of Baby Groot for the opening of Guardians 2, and it's just hysterical to see a gangly adult male do those dances. (laughs) But... I'm not sure Ryan is really into this. I've only seen a little bit of promotional material. He looks pained. On the red carpet, he's smiling. He's showing up. But I don't feel like he's excessively proud to be doing this. Like, this is uncool compared to his peers, right? Like, they're laughing at him that he had to do the Pokemon movie. I can't think that. And you know how these actors, they like to do these projects for their kids. Like Raul Julio with Street Fighter. He did it for his kid. I mean, I saw an interview with him. Ryan Reynolds said that they sent him a video and they took some dialogue from a different project and synced it to Pikachu. And when his daughter saw that, she like flipped out and was so excited that her dad was Pikachu. He did it for that. But yeah, I'd say he's not as invested in it as he is Deadpool. He's not co-writer. He's not co-producer they pitched him a project and he did it and i don't think he's embarrassed and i'm sure he was paid a ton of money just for three or four days of voiceover i'm not talking (laughs) about why you do it i know why he did it i'm saying when it's time to be proudly talking about your work i don't see that i see him using some jokes and some quips and hoping that you know he can survive this and you know what Stuart? to that point i think you're right in sensing that he's not fully on board with this and i don't think it's because he's embarrassed of the property i think he's more embarrassed by like the hipsterness vibe of him doing this that it invites like i don't Mm -hmm. think he wants to be perceived as oh the hipster who's shilling pokemon stuff rather than oh pokemon's an embarrassing thing to be attached to yeah i mean his image if he has success at this point in his career it's all tied with deadpool and to be doing this kind of a pg property that's proudly pg That hurts. I didn't get that impression, but I don't feel he's invested in it, whereas he's a producer and co-writer of the Deadpool films here. He was a hired gun brought in at the last minute. Obviously, he added some stuff. I noticed when watching this film, some of the lines that Pikachu says that feel a little bit ad-libbed, Pikachu's not on screen for. They did not even animate it. He just said it in the sound booth. They're like, it's too late. Let's just cut to Justice Smith while he says this line. Right. Well, why don't we cut to the plot? And Arnie, we can find out what Detective Pikachu discovers. Justice Smith plays Tim Goodman. Or, I'm sorry, Goodman. But I think that name is pretty obvious. Eh, As obvious as Ash Ketchum. (laughs) His life is pretty solitary. Unlike most people, he doesn't even have a Pokemon companion. His isolation comes from his childhood. He was a trophy-winning Pokemon trainer until the death of his mother. His father, Harry, was wrapped up in work, and so Tim went to live with his grandmother and ignore all things Pokemon. This changes when Tim gets word of Harry's death. He goes to Rhyme City to take care of his father's affairs. I was really hoping it was R-H-Y-M-E City and it was full of rappers. That's where I thought he was going. (laughs) But no, Rhyme City is unusual because Pokemon and humans live there equally. There is no capturing Pokemon in Pokeballs and no Pokemon battles. The city is the brainchild of Howard Clifford, played by Bill Nighy. Clifford has a withering disease that is never actually named, is it? Uh, no. And so he researched Pokemon evolution to cure himself. 
He came back from that research. I don't think he was cured, but he decided he needed to make a Pokemon human utopia. He's also really rich and owner of CNM News Network, but Howard's son Roger, played by Chris Gere, doesn't agree with his father's plans. But back to Tim, he's supposed to be our main character, I'm talking a lot about Howard. In Harry's apartment, Tim discovers a Pikachu who can speak English and who sounds like Ryan Reynolds, but only Tim can understand the evolved yellow mouse. Also in Harry's apartment is a vial of a drug labeled R, which when released causes some nearby APOM to go nuts and attack Tim and Pikachu. Pikachu has amnesia, but he knows he was Harry's Pokemon companion, and if he survived the car crash that killed Harry, maybe Harry did too. No body was ever found, and so Tim and Pikachu start to investigate Harry's death. They're aided in their investigation by CNM intern Lucy Stevens, played by Catherine Newton, and her companion Psyduck. The clues lead them to a research facility owned by the Cliffords. There, the Cliffords held Mewtwo captive, extracting his DNA, using it to create R, which makes Pokemon go insane. They also experimented with Pokemon growth, making giant Pokemon. The foursome realized the villain is Howard. To escape his dying body, Howard found a way to transfer human consciousness into Pokemon bodies, but that could only be done when the Pokemon was crazed on the R drug. Using a headset of some sort, Howard transfers his consciousness into Mewtwo. Then, during a parade taken straight out of Batman 89, Howard releases the R-gas and uses his power as Mewtwo to transfer the consciousness of all humans into Pokemon bodies. Pikachu fights Howard in Mewtwo's body, while Tim just removes the headset off human Howard, and that returns Mewtwo's own consciousness, and he undoes all the weird body hopping that Howard had done. Mewtwo also reveals that Harry did die in the car crash but Mewtwo transferred Harry's consciousness into his Pikachu. The detective Pikachu has been Harry. For reasons I don't really get, Mewtwo needed Harry's son in order to bring Harry back in human form, but hey, it does, and it looks like Ryan Reynolds. And Pikachu is back to being just a normal Pika Pika Pikachu. But through this adventure, Tim and Harry reconnected, and Tim decides to leave his job as an insurance appraiser to stay in Rhyme City and become an investigator like his dad as credits roll. The opening titles here was in an odd font. Is this, like, English letters that are trying to look Japanese? <laughs> you know, sitting in the theater, I turned to Tyler and I made a joke, and I said, that says a Warner Brothers picture. I can read Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I got an elbow to the ribs for that one. <laughs> it bordered on culturally offensive. <laughs> it was hard to read. I can understand, you know, trying to make a font feel a certain way, but it was difficult to read what they were trying to do, and it was overstylized. And if this whole enterprise is what I suspect it to be, Pokemon Company trying to catch them all, trying to get all those American kids that loved them 20 years ago and then wandered away, what better hook than to start with Mewtwo. I mean, that first movie was the biggest grossing in America. By far, every kid of the right age saw it in theaters. To replay it here in the beginning, it is kind of a grabber. It did get me excited to think that he was going to be the central figure. This movie starts off with scenery that we've seen from the first movie that we reviewed. And my first thought was like, wow, this feels like it might be the final exam 
for our semester of Pokemon <laughs> studies. <laughs> and it really just got to pay off. Like that studying and knowledge brought a little excitement to this franchise that otherwise I wouldn't have had any idea of what I was looking at at the beginning here. On the reverse of that, though, I wonder if anyone that had never seen Pokemon before but went because they did like Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool, what they would be understanding. I have to wonder what it would be for them. I mean, when I walked out with Ryan, I said, well, they basically did a live version adaptation of Mewtwo Strikes Back. And I'm really sad that I know that now. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I feel like just off the bat, they've made a movie that will only appeal to people with at least a passing familiarity with the Pokemon franchise. If you are here just because, hey, that trailer looks good and that Pikachu looks cute, but I've never played a Pokemon game, I've never watched a Pokemon cartoon, I do think you're going to be fairly lost. They do their best to try to explain it in the beginning and have a couple of the tropes here. But yeah, if I didn't know what a Mewtwo was coming in, I think I'd have been pretty lost. Agreed. Not the new stuff. I mean, even I don't really know what's been going on in the more recent seasons of the television. But for the people that were into it in 99, 2000, all of those major players, all those Pokemon from that original generation, they're all going to be popping up here. They do try and show you a normal battle. Here at the beginning, we start in a field and we have these two kids that are kind of dressed like Ash trekking out there to catch a cubo. I thought one of them might be Ash because he has the red hat. And then it turned out it was the actor who plays Dopinder from Deadpool. <laughs> yes, again, they don't want you to forget Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Reynolds is dragging along a couple buddies into this movie. I can't decide, was this scene filmed as a pickup after they got Ryan Reynolds? Yes. I'm going to say yes. It feels, because we never see Jack again, because it just feels totally thrown in here, probably because test audiences said, what's going on? What's a Pokemon? Again, I think of myself, before I started this series, I didn't know anything. I wouldn't have known that you threw a big ball into a field and caught a Pokemon, and that they had to agree to it. I certainly didn't know they wore the skulls of their mothers. That was a creepy little fact that Bulbapedia actually did clarify for me. Yes, they actually wear the skulls of their mothers. That was awesome, though. I mean, I love the fact that, okay, this movie and its quote-unquote realistic depictions of Pokemon, which I'll say, they're never photoreal to my mind, but they're stylized enough that I go with the world. But this Kubone... With his bone there, they took a way of taking this creepy ass thing that somebody put in a game. And what was that animator thinking when they put a skull on this thing? Were they thinking that it was the skull of the mother? Is that an idea they had? But he sounds like an Ewok. He's absolutely hysterical when he's attacking with that bone. Yeah, they did turn into a bit, of course, that, you know, Tim is reluctant. We sense that much about him from the beginning is that he is not really into this. And he throws it out there. Hey, I caught him. He seems a little bit happy, but it's a yellow light, not a green light. Didn't really work. And I take that to mean probably because of his disinterest. If he had been maybe more into it, maybe Cubone would have wanted to be caught and they would be friends. But Tim is a rare human in this world that is without a Pokemon companion. And the way that they depict this Everyone has one. It's less a pet and more like a spirit animal. It's like you have one Pokemon that represents you and they follow you around and are your little familiar. 
You said that you thought this movie might do better if they called it Pokemon Go the movie instead of Detective Pikachu the movie. I feel like this opening is for the Pokemon Go people. Yes. Because seeing a Kubone just among the grass, throwing a ball at it, seeing the yellow light and seeing the Kubone pop back out. Because when I throw my little balls at Pokemon and Pokemon Go, I'm crossing my fingers every time that they stay in the ball. And I do have to feed them like treats so that they want to stay in the ball and all of that. So I felt like this was a round of Pokemon Go, but instead of at the end, the creature just running away, the creature was pissed. <laughs> I feel like the visual stylization is taking a cue from Pokemon Go. They aren't creating a aesthetic world that I would expect. I would expect them to create a cartoon place. Like when we get to this big city here, Rhyme City, it's not like Emerald City. It's not like we're going to a Technicolor Fantasia. It looks more or less like London. They even have the Gherkin Fabergé egg building. They are taking real world landmarks and then just sticking a Pokemon in there. Suddenly a Snorlax is sitting in the middle of traffic. And that is the way they want it to look. It looks like our world, but with the Pokemon in it, just like Pokemon Go does. I totally agree. And I think they did a pretty good job of that. I mean, aside from the fact that there, like you said, there was a few iconic buildings from London that you could pick out if you know the area. But I felt like they did a good job of taking a familiar feeling city, but also putting somewhat of a Japanese overlay to it and making it feel elsewhere. Not of Earth, but of Earth at the same time. And here's where, for the first time ever, I regret our retrospective series format, because all of us now know quite a bit about Pokemon. We've done the deep dive in watching the other theatrically released U.S. films, and I wonder if others would get the joy I got, mostly from Pokemon games, though, from playing the old Pokemon for the original Game Boy, all the way through playing a ton of Pokemon Go, but just seeing this world that we see, even in Tim's original city where he works as an insurance appraiser, just seeing the Pokemon around, you know, seeing a Treco just against a window, seeing that there are no birds in this world. In fact, they're going to show us, I had that theory given by a listener that has been going around that Pokemon takes place in a post-apocalyptic world. We're going to see here, no, this is some kind of alternate reality where Pokemon were around with the pharaohs. You have hieroglyphs with Pokemon. But seeing these Pokemon just in everyday life, hanging out, walking next to people, brought a smile to my face. We don't know anyone that has no familiarity with this to know how they would react. I would argue it's going to feel less fantastical than going to Toontown or some of these animated crossover movies we've seen. They're almost intentionally trying to make it feel ordinary and not extraordinary. Like, you're not going to Oz. You're not going to a mystical, magical place. You live in the regular world, and it just happens to be populated side by side in a utopian fashion with Pokemon. Now, the thing they've engineered here to get Tim on the train to go is a little confusing. His backstory is convoluted. We eventually get it because I'm an adult and I can infer things from quick flashes of his life as a boy. I get the fact that his father moved to the city after his mother died of some kind of disease for reasons, but I don't really understand why he would do that and then why he would want his son to come with him. The motivation in this movie, not only for that character, but for most characters, is 
tenuous at best. If you, if you look too much into why people are doing things or what's going on, it's going to fall apart. But if you're along for the ride, you can go with it. I think the thing that thinking back on it kind of confuses me, well, not confuses me, the real world version of it is, is that Ryan Reynolds wasn't on board until later on. But I'm pretty sure all the flashback scenes with his dad, they made a point to not show the character's face. But even from behind, that was not Ryan Reynolds at all in any of those scenes. No. Yeah, they make a big deal about he's a man in a trench coat in the rain and we just, he's the father that wasn't there. And I think it works metaphorically. It works with the idea that after tragedy happens in a family, sometimes people stop speaking to one another. I understand that a dad would throw himself into work and maybe not be emotionally present for his child if his wife died. I, I get that. But it's strange to think that he would take a job as a detective in a big city far away and then try to reach out to his son three or four years later. That's not how I read it. I thought that maybe they were in Rhyme City and that's where they lived. I mean, there's the Tim's boyhood room there with the Pikachu bed and everything. I thought that was his old place. And after his mom died, he went off with his grandmother and he left town and he was oh. visiting home. I think you might be right. I have to I have to argue with that because he didn't know where his dad lived. He had to get the card with the address from his partner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they say it's a recreation of his childhood room, but it's confusing. You'd almost think if this movie wanted to be a shade darker, something bad happened to the mom and the dad became a detective to try and find her killer. But since they want to really downplay all trauma that happens to parents, including the opening car flip, we never really want to focus too much on the idea that there's a dead human father in there. Because they waffle and because they're building a mystery, I feel like it ends up being a little more confusing than it needs to be. But we get the major point, which is that Tim is on a train heading into a city where everyone is partnered with a Pokemon except for him, and that makes him the odd man out. And Pokemon just keep hitting on him. There's Licky Licky on the train. <laughs> First of all, we've never discussed the Lickitung. There are a lot of Pokemon here that I only know from Pokemon Go that we've never seen in the movies, never had a chance to discuss on the show. Lickitung is a pervert. Every time I see him in Pokemon Go, he's got this flapping tongue. I'm like, who approved this? Yeah, you showed me <laughs> pictures that I actually, th I was like, that's awful that someone would like make that kind of slash. They were stills from the actual cartoon. Yeah. They were just taken out of context <laughs> that looked like sexual positions. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> couldn't believe it. I thought that someone had done something nasty. And no, well, if they did, like the Roger Rabbit cartoonists, they slipped it in there. But I loved seeing the lick-a-tongue just... And they found a way to downplay the perverseness of that flapping tongue by making him just like Beethoven, a big slobbery dog who's going to slime Tim on the train. He's just very affectionate. Now, I've already said my guy is Bulbasaur. Arnie, I think you're a Psyduck guy. More so than ever after this movie. <laughs> Justin, do you have one? If you had to have just one, who would it be? You know, coming into this, not being attached to any of them, like, yeah, Pikachu does it for me. Like, I always kind of gravitate to the main character for something like this. But I gotta say, I'm coming around to Bulbasaur. Bulbasaur is cute, and I kind of dig the vibe of the Bulbasaur. So, yeah, I'm a Bulbasaur guy now. After all of this, that's where I land. 
I was hoping you were going to say Mr. Mime. I mean, he's great at that. <laughs> I knew which one you wouldn't pick. And, you know, I actually was kind of won over by Squirtle, too. Like, he's, like, part of the firefighter team. Yes. I saw that. And, and, like, janitors. Like, they can help with the mopping just by spitting up the water. That's, this is where we get all of the fan service, basically. We see all in the background, all the Panchams and the Manchamp and the Snorlax. And if you ever liked any of those original generation, they're doing something here in the background as Tim is walking to the police station we even get a snubble that the lieutenant there has made his pokemon i wondered if the snubble was gonna bite tim because he does look so grumpy and he's just sitting there he's not growling but i almost feel like he is but when ken watanabe comes in as the inspector the fact that the snubble like mimics his every movement the Wantanabe leans forward the snubble leans forward how can you not smile at this <laughs> At this point, we've seen enough of these Pokemon in 3D form now that I can make an assessment of how well they're doing it. Because even in the animated version, I feel like there was five or six different artists with different styles creating these Pokemon. And that's not easy to take a flat 2D object and create it 3D and make it look good. And for the most part, I think they've done it pretty well here. I mean, every single one they've put on screen feels like the animated version, and it also feels like it's working in this real world. I like how they did the hair on some of them. You know, later on, we're going to see a wet Pikachu and things. The ones that have hair, they did great fine detail work on that. I think some come off better than others. There's some effect shots that I go, ooh, that needed some work. And indeed, it may have been like we ran out of time or we farmed it out to the wrong effects house and they didn't do as good a job as another one. But by and large, yes, I buy the fact that humans are living side by side with Pokemon. What I'm feeling, though, it's strange, is I'm still feeling that kind of zen calming of the anime cartoon. Looking at Roger Rabbit, those animated characters work overtime to try and get in your face and win you over and be the center of attention. They're in the spotlight. Here, these characters are much happier just being side by side, not drawing attention to themselves. You have to do the work to look for them. They're not as gregarious as I would have suspected people trying to push characters on an audience would have made. Oh, I mean, just sitting there with Tyler in the theater, I'm watching the movie, I'm paying attention to the main characters, and he's constantly like whispering at me, oh, look, there's so-and-so, and there's so-and-so, and he was picking people out of the background and characters all over the place, so for that crowd, I think it's playing very well, where it's like, ooh, even if it's not going to be somebody who gets a feature in the center of the screen, they're getting a lot of these Pokemon in there for the fans. But you know what I mean? Like Bugs Bunny, when he shows up with Mickey Mouse and Roger Rabbit, like that's a moment where they really steal the scene. And here, again, I think it's just Japanese. I think there's just something more polite and unassuming about the way they present these characters that is just unexpected for Western audiences. I like that, though. That's what I really grooved to is it feels more real. If these things were constantly disruptive and in your face and blowing things up and all of that, if Psyducks were exploding all over the place, I never knew Psyducks heads exploded. Yeah, you still want this one? I've got to ask once we get to his big moment. More than ever. Okay. But I think that wouldn't work. You'd have to have them in zoos, right? There's a reason that we allow birds to fly around us and we allow snakes around us, but we don't allow tigers around us, right? So 
I just loved seeing a world where all these characters that I've been catching, and they're hitting the big ones. They're not hitting super rare ones. Almost every Pokemon I saw, I got in Pokemon Go. And they just had an event that brought a lot of Psyducks and Pikachus and things to the front so that it could tie into the movie. But it's tickling me in a way that is pure fan service. I hate fan service normally because I look down upon it where it's like, that's just such an easy lay, you know? But yet here I am getting laid because I'm like, this is my champ and he's a freaking traffic guard. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the fact that this is the first live-action movie after 21 years, why not give a little bit of fan service? I mean, we've never had this experience, this tactile, with them having this much interaction beyond Pokemon Go. So, go for it. But, of course, the Pokemon we really most want to see shows up about 19 minutes in the movie. To kick off Act 2, Detective Pikachu is going to be stumbling into the apartment around the same time that Tim is coming back to his father's apartment. I think Pikachu got there earlier because did you guys notice the movie, the TV was on when Tim got there? Yeah, I thought that was weird too, but I think you're right. Pikachu had been there. Well, did you notice what the movie was? It went by pretty quick, but it felt like a Home Alone type of reference. Yes, it was exactly Home Alone. It's the movie where they're like, keep the change, you filthy animal. They didn't play that line, but it is that fake movie from Home Alone. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I have no idea why. It doesn't foreshadow anything. <laughs> but they brought that in. I guess Home Alone is in... Well, no, they had dogs in Home Alone. They can't be in the same universe. Oh, uh, yeah, no. You know what? The fact that it's Ryan Reynolds, it's neither an asset or a negative. I actually end up thinking it's a, an asset at the very end when they actually are going to use the actor. I think it's helpful to know that it was him all of this time. But kind of like when a famous person goes on Sesame Street. They're doing themselves. It's more casual. They're not really turning on their star wattage. And I'm not having to deal with Ryan Reynolds trying to be excessively funny. Oh, and again, Pikachu is not going to try and steal the movie away from this actor, Justice Smith. I can totally agree with that, Stuart. Like being a guy who likes Ryan Reynolds and his brand of comedy, I don't feel like it's necessary here. Like I almost feel like whoever they got to play Pikachu, I would have been accepting of. It's not like Ryan Reynolds took ownership of this character. Now, every time Pikachu's on screen, I need Ryan Reynolds to be that character. But you're right. It's also, at the same time, working just fine. If Pikachu's going to talk, I don't mind having him be kind of quippy and funny and a little bit sarcastic. I like the attitude they gave Pikachu here, but... Watching the trailers, I thought it was all Ryan Reynolds, right? The caffeine addict and all of that. I thought it was stuff he was bringing to the character. That's stuff from the frickin' video game from 2016. The Detective Pikachu back then's this caffeine-addicted wise-ass. I couldn't believe how it was almost like they sat and made the game and were like, if we got Ryan Reynolds to do this, what would he be? Yeah, who knows? Maybe they saw the first Deadpool and said, how can we make Pikachu more like him? I don't know. That seems unlikely. <laughs> but I think we're all saying more or less the same thing. Ryan Reynolds is okay in this. Is that the best you've ever said about Ryan Reynolds in his entire filmography? <laughs> is it killing you to give the praise of okay? I can say he's... Uh, no, actually, the truth is I usually root for people. Even when I don't like them, I want to be proven wrong. I want to see that they have a side that earns them the star power they get. And I get Ryan's appeal. It's just I have a trigger where I don't like to see immature middle-aged men. At this point in my life, it's something I don't always find charming. But yes, I'm going to give him the compliment that he is adequate 
and neither an asset nor a detriment to this movie. I'll agree with that, that he's not an asset in the way that I thought he would be either. And I do think this is a result of him being brought in just to read lines that were already written and the animation mostly already done. It's Ryan Reynolds' voice and Ryan Reynolds' inflection, and there's a couple moments where I do feel like maybe he brought something unique to it. But by and large, I forget it's Ryan Reynolds. It just becomes this cute little Pikachu with... Is he wearing too much rouge? Is he kind of hoard up? I never really noticed the red spots on the cheek until I saw them in a real-life scenario. <laughs> yeah, you do look at the Pokemon differently now that you can see them in this way. Right now, I think the thing that's overshadowing all of this is I'm finally getting something that I said I've wanted from every cartoon movie. Tension. Adult action. Things that are actually scary and traumatizing to children. Justice Smith's Tim has searched the apartment and found a vial of purple gas, accidentally released it. It floats out the window. There were these cute little, they're like these monkey Pokemon, eight palms. They breathe the gas and we can tell just within instance, they've gone purple Smurf. They got the <laughs> eyes, the gnashing teeth. They bust in there and I'm thinking, wow, we are actually going to see violence against humans and Pokemon committed by cute little things. Something this series has never done. Now, the purple gas sprays in Tim's face, too. And, I mean, that's our red herring, right? We're supposed to think that's why he can talk to Pikachu is because of the gas. Right. And that's not going to be the case. But nobody has ever been able to converse with a Pokemon in history. So this is a big deal. Apom, those things are creepy amputee Pokemon anyway. I don't know if you noticed, they have arms with no hands. Their hands are cut off. And then they have a tail with a giant hand. Yeah. Like they oh. traded their hands off their arms. I noticed the tail, yeah. And so I'm like freaking out because I never really, the amputiness of them has always bothered me in Pokemon Go. But seeing them like swing from things and use their little stubby arms to catch things, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, they're creepy characters to begin with, and then to have them all amped up and on this R-juice, man, it was pretty invigorating to start the movie with a little bit of a chase. You know, they're running up the building and slamming doors and all that stuff, and it's a good way to inject a little bit of action into this otherwise meandering story so far. And I do think at least American kids today, even young ones, are accustomed to this level. Like, the show would never dare to go this intense, but maybe it should. Maybe this is a signal that they can trust their audience to do that more. You know, they run up on the roof and they go down a garbage chute. By the time the things get down onto the street level again, we can see it's worn off. It's a temporary thing and it's all over. And the only one freaked out about it is Tim, who's now covered in soot and running around trying to convince anyone that will listen that Pikachu is talking to him. I love the few times we hop and see an external person's perspective of Pikachu and he's just like, Pika Pika! And that girl, you're adorable. You're adorable. I mean, that I felt was a little Ryan reynolds hitting on that girl, but I find Pikachu to be incredibly cute here from the outside. Yeah, this is a good scene. This is a good way to let us know as an audience that what is happening with Tim and that the fact that he can understand Pikachu and Pikachu can understand him is actually happening without it being overly done to the point where it's like, yes, we get it. These two aren't supposed to be able to communicate like this, but it's happening. It's done so in such a way that I enjoyed the setup here. I mean, as they're walking through the underbelly of Rhyme City and going past the cafes and booth, I think it works well here. 
Yeah, this is the Blade Runner part. I don't feel like much of the movie looks like Blade Runner, but this moment, they're clearly referencing Ridley Scott and the neon and the fusion of Eastern and Western influences and the architecture and all that. I want to give a shout out specifically to Justice Smith. I actually think he's really good in this movie, and I didn't know who he was. I had to look him up. I'm like, is he some unknown Will Smith scion? Like, is he, like, overshadowed by Willow and Jaden and all of that? It's not in that Smith family. But he's quite good. I We had seen him in that last Jurassic World movie, basically doing the, this kind of comedy bits. And he's good at that. In a kid's sitcom way, he's got all the pratfalls, all the faces. He can do all of that stuff. But when he has to get emotional, when he and Pikachu go back and he sees the replica of his room and he has to have these moments thinking about the dad and his complicated feelings, I think this actor sells these moments very, very well. And again, playing off nothing. I don't remember him from Jurassic World. I mean, I saw it once in theaters and I didn't like it then, so I've purged it. But this guy is good. I'm surprised. I don't know many of these cast members we're going to talk about. Bill Nye and Ken Watanabe. Those are the two I do know. It's easier to say the ones I know than the ones I don't. If I didn't just name them, then I don't have any idea who these people are, even if I've seen them in stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I'm surprised that they do as well as they do. I think I'll be seeing them again. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't know the majority of these people, except for the big names that you just mentioned, Arnie. But yeah, Justice Smith does a great job here. And I also kind of fear that, like, he's going to be one of those actors that, like, keeps getting work and maybe even some leading roles. And I'll just never remember his name or his face. It's like every time I see him, it's going to be rediscovering him again. Uh, maybe. Yeah, he could graduate from this. I mean, Tom Hanks, you know, he started out in sitcoms. What I'm saying is I get the sense that this guy could be that good. He could go on and find real dramatic work. And in varied ways, he's shown me comedy and drama in this silly little movie. He's done more than is asked of him in this film. And I want to celebrate that. Catherine Newton is an actress I've seen many, many times, as you guys are saying, have never remembered her from. She was in Big Little Lies, Three Billboards, Lady Bird, saw all those movies, mm -hmm. do not know who she is, but <laughs> she is this reporter that kind of blew in here with Psyduck and very clumsily introduced herself at the apartment and is now going to be their first lead as they get into the case about what happened to Harry Goodman because Pikachu is convinced that the father is still alive. He feels it in his jellies, whatever that means, <laughs> that the dad is not dead and that they have a case here. And so she believes that too. She's been doing her own investigation. She knows something's up. She's just an intern, but she's pretending to be a reporter. I thought I would hate Lucy Stevens in this movie from this first scene, though, because she's overplaying a 40s noir. And she's more like Hepburn in the front page, if you know that movie, or yeah. His Girl Friday. Like, But yes, I just thought I would hate her faux 40s delivery and kind of this weird Lois Lane vibe I was getting off of her, she actually really does win me over in the movie. She reminds me a lot of Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Okay. I just kind of got that vibe off of her with the big eyes and the delivery. Oh, sure. I kind of was getting a Kimberly from Different Strokes type of feeling <laughs> off of her. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like her introduction. I do feel like she's supposed to come on brassy like reporters and detective movies of old were like. And she's a weird pairing with Psyduck because Psyduck, we're going to find out, is completely neurotic. <laughs> and she's really not. I mean, she's kind of tough. And he's all a mess. They're a strange combo. Doesn't feel like her alter ego at the very least. But she, yes, is working this event 
where they are taping a commercial to let everyone in the city know they're going to have a big parade soon. And the founder of this city is there with his son, the Cliffords. It's a set that anybody can just walk onto, apparently, as well. (laughs) Sure. Well, if you're a detective, you know. It sure. doesn't stop you. Just, you know, it's very easy to walk up and get that close to Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. The richest people in the world, very approachable. <laughs> I actually feel like they're going for the Murdochs specifically because they own media and it's a father and son. And right now, that's a big issue where passing the torch and the kids trying to take control of the empire has led to a lot of infighting. There are more than one son, so it's not a total one-to-one correlation. But I do feel like they were thinking a little bit about Rupert Murdoch and his children. Given that they called it CNM, which was so close to CNN, I kept looking for any kind of tie there. You know, right now, CNN is being called fake news by our commander-in-chief. Are we going to see anything like that? Are they going to try to be topical? No, Ryan Reynolds is going to make one really awkward comment about global warming. Other than that, there's no politics in this movie. A CNM is just one letter away from being sued, but it has no relevance that I could find. Sure, I mean, it just plays as corporate media. I mean, I think everybody at this point knows that news organizations aren't what they used to be. It's played for commercial use and stuff like that. And there's even a comment from The Sun early on where he turns away from the camera and really snaps at his dad. It's used as a diversion ultimately, but it's to show us that, oh, this guy is more concerned about money than actual information getting to the people. And this is a red herring if you've played and beaten the game. In the game, Roger Clifford is your bad guy, Mm. and he's going to release the R, not to escape an ailing body, but because he wants his news network to be the number one news network, and he's going to be right there at the parade covering all of this. Yeah, I'll admit, I was totally surprised by this. I did not think that the children's movie could fool me about who the bad guy was, but I bought hook, line, and sinker from this exchange that the son had to be the bad guy because he was the one being mean to his dad and his dad's in a wheelchair and his dad built this utopia and I just fell for it. I didn't understand that there could be a dark side to the utopian vision. I'm sorry, but as soon as I see Mr. Potter there, the rich guy in the wheelchair, I know he's the bad guy. Yeah, you're good on you. I mean, again, they it could be there. As Justin said, it's even in a line of dialogue where he's called out for being vain, but I didn't see it. Again, I thought this was the story about sons reconnecting with their dads, and you have a bitter son looking for his detective father, and now there's this bitter media son. I thought they were going to do something there with that. But in fact, Howard is really the one behind all of this, and the son is not as villainous as he might appear in this first exchange. And they present to Lucy the vial for the R. She already knows about this. She brings them into her office. Ryan Reynolds gets to say some off-color things, like it's really a coffin with pencils. And (laughs) the last time Tim talked to a woman is when he was coming out of the birth canal. (laughs) The birth canal line got my eyebrows raised. That was pushing it. There had to been long meetings at Pokemon Company about birth canal joke. Like, do we let that go? (laughs) But they do. And you know what? Is it the movie better for it? It's more Ryan Reynolds for it. I'll say that. At least defends his reputation for slipping things in. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I did. I'll just put my cards on the table. The plot of this movie is convoluted and sucky. I don't like anything that involves the Cliffords. A couple of the things they do, like with a ditto, are clever. And we'll get there. But this entire plot that involves Mewtwo and everything, 
It's just too much for this movie, I think. I feel like they tried to go too big and too epic. Like, they're sitting there and, like, we're spending $150 million making this movie. Don't you know we have to put the entire Earth in danger? I mean, I'm surprised there wasn't somebody in a creative meeting saying, so how are we going to have a beam that goes up into the sky? But it didn't need to be that. It could have been a very small, personal detective story, and I felt worked better. Because in the end, Harry and Tim's relationship to the plot they're uncovering is tenuous at best. I like it, because it surprised me. I actually, I thought I knew what it was. And they took twists that were kind of hard to follow. Again, they were kind of adult. Convoluted, sure, but as someone that watched all of the animated movies, they're always convoluted. I always walk away going, I'm not sure what really happened, but I more or less get the gist of it. And that's also true of this movie. Everything was convoluted, yet it all made sense. But I think the detriment to all that was everything they tried to do was short-shifted then. I mean, the motivation of everybody seems suspect and just kind of hand-wavy once we find out where it's all heading. And it, it raises bigger questions if you want to dig just below the surface of what they're saying about these characters. And that may be true, but I mean, I feel like go watch Solo. Go watch a lot of big Hollywood movies that got rewritten and rechanged and all of that. And they're all full of these kinds of kind of convoluted. It's no more sloppy than your average summer blockbuster entertainment. And it's going to live or die by the enjoyment you get at each stop along the way. Yeah. And that's something that disappoints me about summer blockbuster entertainment. I mean, Listen to our review of Suicide Squad or Justice League. I mean, and I don't just mean to pick on DC, but those are the two that came to mind. But even, yes, there are some Marvel movies that are equally convoluted. They just would have been better keeping the story more personal. But they felt like they had to bring in Mewtwo and body swapping and all this stuff. But the following the trail... The following the clues I like. I like it when they follow that vial of art to the docks and, oh, my favorite scene of the entire movie, Mr. Mime. All right, I didn't even know this until this movie. I just never thought about it. But do you know how weird Mr. Mime is? He doesn't wear clothes. Those things that look like clothes are just bulbous, colorful growths on his body. <laughs> how interesting. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had him, again, keep in mind, when I was in the tournament, he was one of my guys I was throwing out there. I'm not a fan of him just for that, because he really can't hurt anybody that much. But here, they've jiggered it so that when he's inside his box doing his mind thing, if you run into that box, you'll hurt your head. It was a good way of taking his actual combat power and using it in a fun way. But this was my Pokey controversy of the week. The Pokemon Company was not pro-Mr. Mime in this movie. They thought that people did not want to see a live-action Mr. Mime. They thought that it would be pretty horrifying and just look like an oversized colorful baby. <laughs> Wait, the company that made him are, like, ashamed? You heard what I said? There's all those rumors about Mime and Ash's mom. I mean, the company <laughs> knows that people like Justin are weirded out by Mr. Mime. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. I can appreciate their thought there, but I tell you what, the movie does this character justice. It doesn't bring me around on the character itself, but this scene was fun. I enjoyed what they did with it. I was shocked that, like, I mean, as Pikachu calls out, they go dark real fast <laughs> when, when Justice this idea of getting him to talk is pouring invisible gasoline on him like Reservoir Dogs and then holding up an invisible match. I'm like, I know it's invisible, but you know, that's really, that's really R-rated. 
<laughs> he drops the match. <laughs> the very end of the scene. He's just Mr. Mime. And I'm sitting here wondering this whole time because Mr. Mime creates an invisible wall. And he sits in impossible positions no mime could actually do, making me think he's creating invisible supports for himself. Well, if somebody mimes to Mr. Mime, is that actually created? Did we cut away right before Mr. Mime immolates? <laughs> very possibly. Yeah, I, again, they leave it to your imagination. Yeah, very much, depending on how dark you are as an audience member, if you are one of those haters out there, then yeah, you get to see Mr. Mime burn up, I guess. <laughs> Final look on Mr. Mime's face when he drops the match. I love the scene. And the fact that Mr. Mime's telling him to shove it. And You know, mimes are one of those things that everybody hates, including me. But seeing him, you know, run away and seeing him put up the invisible wall so that he couldn't be attacked. <laughs> the fact that you have to combat mime with mime. This scene, it made me smile a lot. And that's what's important more than the plot is that I'm smiling because at this point, I don't realize how crazy the plot's going to get, but I'm smiling anyway. Yeah, and there's certain things you have to do if you're doing Pokemon. You have to have a battle. We have to find a way, even in a town where it's total harmony and no one is throwing balls out and making animals fight one another. Again, that controversy about is this like dog fighting? They don't want to wade their toe in there, but the movie would be wrong not to have us go to the roundhouse and see a little bit of underground Rhyme City where people like Sebastian have their Charizard and dope them up with Violar and get these underground matches. This really is kind of walking that line of what you bring with you into a movie like this because if you're just kind of a casual Pokemon person, this very much plays like cockfighting or underground dogfighting. But to people who have a little bit more knowledge and guys like us who have been immersed in it, I think we understand that this is just kind of underground fighting, not necessarily animals fighting. To clarify, we've been immersed in Pokemon, not dog fighting. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not Michael Vick, but... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I could see the studio being a little bit more iffy about this scene than the Mr. Mime scene, because it does come off as a very seedy, hey, this is a illegal fighting ring. But I think the way they pull it off works very well. Again, that's us as adults, as 40-year-olds, looking at this thing with an adult mind. But people that grew up playing the game are just going to think, hey, they're finally doing the game. That's the way they're going to think. And it is fun. And we would want to see that. And we would want to see the cheater, the guy that's using the purple gas, lose. Tell me what I heard here. Pikachu killed his previous Charizard? No, he just beat Charizard. Yeah, he electrocuted him. And ripped his coat. Yeah. But he said he almost died. And like he went so far as to get a gang tattoo full torso of Charizard on his chest as if that was like his homie that died. I mean, I think they played it off like that he was scarred. I mean, they showed Charizard's scar across his face that was left because Pikachu had electrocuted him pretty well. Okay, the guy's talking fast, and I get the point. He wants a rematch. That's the point. And because Pikachu has amnesia, he doesn't remember how to do thunder attack. <laughs> and that, that does lead to a very fun scene where he's Looks like he's trying to take a shit. Yeah, it's constipation, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a constipated dog, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, with it's the height of embarrassment, because, like, everyone is waiting, watching for him to do his cool move that he knows will win, and he's just there, ass out, squeezing and screaming and grunting. It's quite embarrassing. And this is where they become partners. You know, we need to have that scene where Tim, the guy that never wanted a Pokemon as a partner, is going to 
suddenly align himself with Pikachu. He's going to step out there in that arena together. They're going to jump on this dragon and get thrown around. And this is the moment in which they have now become buddies. It felt like cheating. I mean, I know Pikachu is going to lose the battle, but I don't feel like he's going to become roast Pikachu. I mean, even though Charizard is a fire-breathing dragon, when Pikachu beat Charizard, it just left a scar. So I felt like Tim jumping in the ring is a real form of cheating. Sure, but so is using Serum R. I mean, you know, using the purple gas is also cheating. And really, it ends up being a draw because that guy falls over. He's got a whole trench coat full of those vials. They all get crushed. And then every Pokemon in this whole arena is gassed and going crazy. And we introduce something that I think is a script problem, but is actually a clue. Pikachu is not affected by this gas. And I'm like, wait a minute, why wouldn't that be that these script writers, you know, I'm immediately assuming these script writers don't know what they're doing, but in fact, they know very well what they're doing. They're telling us there's something very special again about this Pikachu. He can't be gassed because he's already been gassed and because a human has already been put into his body. Yeah, and they even do a few times drop lines, you know, Pikachu being aware of what the gas does and telling other Pokemon not to breathe in. But yeah, this scene plays out this way just so we can have had the battle and not have to have a winner or a loser and then move on from there. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, is you risk pissing off some fan of some type when you show another type winning, right? Like when you saw at the beginning that there was a Gengar, he won against somebody, I'm not sure what, but like that's going to piss off the people that he was playing against. Here, they just have like a fish, one of the gas Magikarp bust out of his tank and evolves into the big thing, and that's the end. (laughs) I have to laugh because Magikarp are frustrating the hell out of me in Pokemon Go, and so when Tim's like, Magikarp, that's the most useless thing I'm like, yes, it is. (laughs) It's because it takes like 400 candies to evolve one. Yes, and it's just flapping there. I love how they explain why it's sideways and flapping all the time. But I never knew it's going to, when I finally get 400 damn candies, it's going to evolve into a water vomiting dragon. Oh, so there's in-jokes here for players. I I guess, of course, there would be. But I didn't get that that's why, you know, because Pikachu is there slamming him on the arena floor, like, evolve, evolve, evolve. And the joke is, if you play the game, you know, that doesn't come easy. I also love the loud reds that were hanging out with the DJ, because those things are like giant boombox ones, and they're all over the game. Yeah, I actually didn't know we'd see so many Pokemon here. I kind of thought that we'd be going into, like, Transformers 1. Because, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of Transformers, but in that first Transformers movie, they kept it down to about eight Transformers in the main plot. But there's all kinds of Pokemon all over the place here, and God help you if you don't know what they do sometimes. Because especially, again, the Ditto, if you don't understand the Ditto, which we saw already became Howard's personal assistant, the Ditto turned into like a manservant to push his wheelchair... I think a lot of people would just be really lost. I didn't even see that. That was introduced early? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. That was such a bizarre thing to show up at the end. That's a character, Miss Norman. I barely paid attention. She's here at the arena texting that Tim is here to somebody. It didn't mean anything. And so when she ends up being something at the end, I was like, I don't get it. The pink in her hair was supposed to be the clue, I guess. Right. Yeah, that scene at the TV studio ends up being very chock full of plot devices that will be used later on in the movie. I think it's very dense with information, and on a second viewing, that'll become really apparent once you know where we're headed with this movie. But yeah, if you don't know what a ditto does, 
even that scene there showing what happens doesn't necessarily explain it. No. no. I get it enough at the end. I don't want to belabor the point, but the Serena scene, it wraps up cute. Again, it's a joke where they all get washed away by a fish, but it also introduces the idea that there is a gas that could make Pokemon... I think, attack human beings and kill. This is now, like, getting kind of scary here, where we think, well, maybe the dad was killed by his Pokemon. You know, I don't know. My mind starts racing about all that's possible. Did they eat Diplo? I don't know if you noticed, but the superstar DJ that is playing this (laughs) arena, that is actually one of the hottest guys in music right now. He was in Deadpool 2. Yeah. (laughs) Again, bring them all. (laughs) Yeah, the feral Pokemon... Pokemon attacking humans is something we just don't see, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even in Detective Pikachu, that was one of the big things at the beginning of the game, is some APOM go nuts and start throwing, like, hot dogs at you. And that's a big deal, that they're attacking you by throwing food and things. And it's just so weird to think, because these are super-powered beings. These are mystical beings that can breathe fire and shoot electricity. Humans are screwed if they ever rebel. I understand that it undermines the utopia, but it also undermines just central things we've understood about the game. I would think it would be alarming for anyone, really, the idea that the, your Pokemon could turn on you. Well, an unsaid but also understood is that Pokemon are kind of an underclass then, because if they need a utopia in order to live side by side with humans and not be living in fear of being captured and enslaved to be put in Pokemon battles, then the unsaid thing there is that Pokemon are underclass. Yes. It gives all the haters and all the people that have had problems with Pokemon some ammunition. I do think they seed some of the argument that, yeah, you're right. We have glamorized animal violence by our game. But then we're going to get Tim going back to Ken Watanabe, Lieutenant Yoshida, trying to convince the cops. You know, we always have this scene in virtually every movie, right? Telling the cops, there's something I miss here. And the cops going, go away, kid. Yeah, I thought at this point they were telling us Watanabe was in on it, whatever conspiracy was going on. Because he's like, why are you still here? And he doesn't believe that he can talk to Pikachu. He's like, well, this is just your grief and a manifestation of your damaged psyche. And then he really shows him the footage that this is your father. This is the car. He is dead, dead, dead. And this is where Tim realizes maybe he did wish to have connected with the live father, that he didn't come here to bury him. Quick aside on Ken Watanabe, Justice Smith, to prepare for the role, went and watched the first couple episodes of the Pokemon anime, and he got on the set, and he's like, oh, it's pronounced Pokemon. Not Pokemon, but apparently in the English translation, they mispronounced Pokemon those first few episodes, and so they were going all around the set, the director, every cast member calling him Pokemon, and then Ken Watanabe came and said, to the director, do you want me to say it like everyone else is saying it, or do you want me to say it right? (laughs) (laughs) So he may have saved this movie from a whole bunch of online fandom. Well, you know, there's no saving anyone from online passion at this point. But again, this is a turning point where they're still partners, but they've given up the idea that they can find Harry alive. And now what they're looking for is what happened to Pikachu. Why does he have amnesia? Who was he before? This leads them back to Howard Clifford. Who has a holodeck and is able to show us the crash and that it was done by Mewtwo. And I did notice that Yoshida's video, it kind of blipped when the car crashed. Like there was something that you couldn't see. 
Like a rolling videotape, like if old VHS used to do that. Yeah, it was just some kind of glitch that hid something, and I noticed that because we saw it at the beginning. We'd seen this crash, so we know what we're kind of looking for. And so when Clifford does it in his holodeck, we see clearly, <gasps> Mewtwo, which I remember, he was in the trailers, people knew to expect Mewtwo, and that was a big deal too. I mean, we'd already seen him at the beginning, and I think we assumed he caused the accident. I mean, that was established in the very first scene. What we're told here by Howard is that he is alive. We can see him crawling out of the wreckage, and Mewtwo takes him. So if you find Mewtwo, you're going to find your father. Right, which leads us back to Lucy. And Lucy has already got some of this information and she realizes that what they need to do is go back to this laboratory that we saw at the beginning of the movie that Mewtwo busted out of. Yeah, they had a power outage the same night that Harry died slash disappeared. There has to be a connection. And so let's get in this smart car that barely can fit us and our Pokemon. And Pikachu can massage Psyduck's feet as we drive back to that lab from the beginning. I have always liked Psyduck from the shorts we reviewed. You know, he's never really been in any of the movies that we've seen. But the shorts, he always seemed just really stressed and panicky. And so to see him this way here and needing that foot massage and the fact that Pikachu's like, you've got me sitting next to a bomb. Oh, I'm rolling in the aisle. It's just funny. I always thought you liked Psyduck because he was like Howard the Duck. No, I like Psyduck for Psyduck, damn it. It's, he's his own person. <laughs> he's just kind of duck thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought your duck thing had gone way out of hand. Visually, I thought it was a weird choice to have, if we're only going to really have two Pokemon that are focused upon throughout the movie Pikachu and Psyduck having two yellow Pokemon next to each other on screen so often I thought that was a weird choice I would have gone with you know Jigglypuff or somebody in a different color scheme just from a a visual standpoint because it's a lot of furry yellowness going on on screen yeah but you know what people like that they're more cuddly in that way and so maybe they can sell more dolls I don't know the economics of it all I do know that I'm getting a little tired of watching screens this is a trope that happens in any detective story you're trying to figure something out and people end up reading files and you know like here it's like we're just going to replay videotapes of what people have done before that's not really a great way of explaining what happens usually you want the detective to detect you want them to put one and one together and figure it out and here these are just people that walk into a lab flip a switch and just replay what happened with the Mewtwo breakout The amount of misdirection they try to do in this movie is also a little frustrating. Because here, we're going to think Pikachu is evil because Pikachu helped Mewtwo break out and Mewtwo told him, you did well. Not only that, but we're also told that Harry was the one that captured Mewtwo. Like, they have not written the first movie out of continuity. They said long ago, we made a Mewtwo in in Kanto. He escaped. So they're acknowledging that anime is in continuity here. Harry was the one that went out and captured him for us so that we could work on him, extract his DNA, and from that we made, well, we could all have guessed that, that purple gas. So they're both bad. This is both Pokemon and Sun realizing that they're connected to somebody that was a betrayer. But yeah, Mewtwo at this point is only understood as a villain. We have not seen that there's a sensitive soft side to it. And that information, I think, helps play out 
in the long run of this movie, but it wasn't readily apparent on a first viewing, at least to me. Mm -mm. Like, I wasn't sure that Mewtwo's original story from the anime still stood in this universe. I thought maybe this was the end result of Mewtwo being made in this tube and breaking out, much like we saw in that movie on a different timeline. Yeah, right. They were doing their own twist on that storyline. But no, this is not that. It is in the dialogue. It's not clear. I agree. It's not readily apparent. But what I heard in dialogue was that he was recaptured by Harry. And would he really do that? And why would he do that? Some of these questions don't get answered, as far as I can tell. I don't know why he would have done that, if indeed he did. But there is a lot of, as you say, or any misdirection to get us to think at this point that these are people we should not trust. And this is really going to impact Pikachu's ability to work on this case. But first, they have to just escape this lab because we think Roger has opened all of the containment units for all the genetically modified Pokemon, and they're going to attack Lucy, Tim, and Pikachu. Yeah, which leads to a chase into the forest of the woods, which was kind of exciting. They built it up a little bit in the lab, and I'm not being a Pokemon guy, I can't remember the name, but it was Terra something or other, the turtles that look like they have a landmass on them. Yeah, Torterra Garden, they're basically, yeah, just turtles that have been laying there so long that they have shrubbery. And then there's Greninjas, I'm maybe mangling that pronunciation, but they are the things that look like frogs with tongues wrapped around their face that can wrap you up in those tongues as well. This is the moment the movie takes a turn for me. I have been enjoying it, and I've been into the mystery the whole time, and it's just it's not this scene specifically, but it's this moment of the movie where I just start wondering, what am I watching when it starts becoming an earthquake movie and a natural disaster and they're running on the Tateras, but you don't know that. And there's some really bad compositing going on here. There really does not look like the people are in the middle of the scenes they're acting. And Tim is making a leap for his life that he's barely makes. It just feels like it's out of a different movie that I did not want to watch. It feels like something executives insisted needed to happen now because we haven't had enough action for American audiences. I do now see the wisdom in why the anime never went this route is because it feels pandering. We're having action for action's sake. It feels like it could have been from any Nickelodeon movie. The Turtles movie that we saw recently, I feel like has a scene very similar to this, where they're like skiing down some mountainside or something. For no reason, we have all of these characters in action, and maybe it's exciting. Maybe it does deliver on the adrenaline. I actually do think when you watch the mountains flip up and Inception style become the Turtles with the big eye, that's really remarkable looking. It's a good effect, but to what effect? Why did all of this happen so that Pikachu could get hit by a rock and need medical attention? That's There needed to be more to transpire out of this moment. Yeah, more than anything, I'll, I'll agree with both of you, more than anything, this scene is there to inject some action into this movie and play fan service to show us a bigger Pokemon than we've ever seen before. Which, yeah, it's cool on a first viewing. I just don't think it helps in the long run if you're going to be the type of person that wants to immerse yourself in this world and watch it over and over again. This scene is going to become pretty rote and pointless over time. And the fact that Pikachu is now, what, on the verge of death? He's going to die? And so Tim is going to beg a Bulbasaur for help and... 
Pikachu had previously said, they don't understand your words, but they understand your psychic vibes or something. <laughs> well, your intent. I mean, I think that's true when you're in a foreign country and you don't know the language is that people will help you if they can tell when you're lost. There's a language that we all share through body language. And what they can tell is he doesn't want to lose Pikachu too. I thought that was an important line that he has had a lot of loss. If you think about the fact that he's lost his mother, not sure Gran's still alive either. The person that raised him, then to lose the dad now the dad's Pokemon that he bonded with. Yeah, this guy should not lose another life. And so we have this kind of melodramatic moment where, you know, it's got my dude. I can't be that angry at it. But Bulbasaur's are going to lead them to a rock along with some flying mushrooms. And we will find out that Mewtwo is at least sometimes benevolent. He will bring the electric mouse back to life. I thought at first maybe Bulbasaur had some healing power. I know he's got some tentacles in him he can fire out. And he's got the bulb on his back. Maybe it's a magic healing flower or something. And then we see the mushrooms. I'm like, okay, so the Bulbasaurs are just leading you to the mushrooms and the mushrooms are going to heal. I was wondering who's going to heal Pikachu. I was expecting a medic. I actually thought we might find joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe joy, yeah. <laughs> but... It turns out, no, this is how we are introduced in person to Mewtwo, who has been saying things like, all humans are evil, and yet is going to help Pikachu here. Yeah. It was a disappointment for me, A, because I thought we might be going to that secret garden, my favorite episode of the TV show, where the Bulbasaur refused to evolve, and we saw that (laughs) satanic ritual. The fact that this Mewtwo is right, this is the moment where we need to spend some time. Really, we needed to have them align with Mewtwo. In this moment, that's what needed to happen. But he gets yanked out of it very quickly because Roger is there with some Pokeballs. And he never gets to clarify his statement. Humanity is evil, but there are some good people on both sides. Is I think what he wanted to say. I don't know if I feel better about that. He still thinks humanity is evil. But the point is that he wanted to help Tim and his father and will not be able to because evil Roger has captured him. Convoluted? Most certainly. But again, I ask you, more convoluted than the movies we've already watched? Not necessarily. More convoluted than some summer entertainments that we parse our way through? No. No, and it makes it play bigger than I would expect this movie to play. Having a twist like this, no matter if you see it coming or not, I think is good for this type of movie where I didn't have a lot of expectations coming in, but to have our expectations subverted and the benevolent man who's made this city end up being the guy who's causing all this problem, I think is good for this audience. You know, if if you grew up with Pokemon, you're not getting these type of twists in the movies or the TV shows. So I enjoy what they're doing here. Enjoyment is such a tough word when we're talking about Pokemon. I play the role of a fan. Am I really a fan? Am I really enjoying this? I tend to try and be in the perspective of someone that is more into it than I myself as a 45-year-old man would be. But I have more or less been with the movie and I am finding it twisty how they keep changing (laughs) it up. I mean, again, I did not suspect that Howard was bringing Mewtwo back to him, that it wasn't Roger, that, you know, it looked like Roger, but we have this lookalike ditto thing that's working for Howard. And because Howard has been in a wheelchair, he wants a new body. That I get. 
okay, you want to blend with your Pokemon. His master plan that everyone is going to blend with their Pokemon, is that a catastrophe? Is that a problem if everyone loves their Pokemon? Like, that seems like that wouldn't need to be forced upon them by giant parade balloons full of gas. No means no. I should have choice over what my body is forced into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The humans didn't consent to it. And certainly, I guess what the tragedy is, when the human goes into the Pokemon body, the Pokemon soul disappears they are temporarily shoved to the side it's not like they're sharing the body together it's the human puppeting themselves around in this new creature body so in that way it's i guess something that needs to be stopped but it's probably a fantasy for at least half this city and maybe some of the people in my audience the idea that hey i could become my pokemon would not be this nightmare scenario they want to play as a climax. I don't know. I think Justin trapped in a Mr. Mime or me trapped in a Lickitung would <laughs> but be that pretty wouldn't nightmarish. Be your, that wouldn't be your characters. You and a Psyduck, him and a Bulbasaur. That's what they're saying. Your best friend is now going to be a composite of you and him together in one form. Not the worst thing. If that's your only friend, maybe. Listen, I love my dogs. I don't want to be my dogs. I, I agreed. It's weird. It takes it to a weird place. I don't know how to talk about this. I agree. I, I, as much as I love my pug, I would not want to be in my pug's body. But a 10-year-old might. You know, that's a fun fantasy for a 10-year-old to think about for an afternoon. But you're right, Stuart. This is one twist, one convolution, too many. Like, they could have focused more on just defeating Howard and releasing Mewtwo from him rather than this whole extra parade thing where we're afraid that everybody's going to get turned into their Pokemon for some reason. Like, there was no reason no. for that. Yeah, that he is now in Mewtwo, the most powerful Pokemon, and can fly around and do Mewtwo things. That's evil enough. What would he want to do now that he's in a powerful body? Given that he's been in a weak body, that was what started him on the journey to meeting Pokemon in the first place and creating the city. What does he want to do now that he's powerful? Is something we could have understood if we ever really got into the psychology of the character. Mewtwo has the power, magical powers, to transfer human spirits into Pokemon. But Howard doesn't have that power. He's putting on this thing that looks like the Force Trainer toy from Uncle Milton. Yeah. And he's just projecting into Mewtwo. It's a really simple solution when Tim just comes over and knocks it off his head and it's done. Yeah. It needs to be simple and we know that that's how it's going to be, but we have a lot of running around to distract us until we can get to that obvious conclusion that... Tim is going to have to battle the ditto that was the assistant that can, you know, it was kind of fun. It can turn into any Pokemon. So he's just constantly outmatched because a new Pokemon is coming at him in ditto form. And Roger is actually exonerated. He was not the awful son we thought. He's tied up in the closet. He doesn't agree with all of these things that are going on. Pikachu, again, doesn't seem affected by this gas. Why is that? He's running around on the balloons while everyone else is being vaporized and turn into their Pokemon. I thought he was holding his breath because he was riding a Pokemon. He's told them to hold their breath and they didn't. And so I didn't realize he was immune to the gas. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Again, I thought it was weak writing, but in fact, it's clever. And that right there is why this story goes the way it does, is because we need something for Tim to do in the climax and something for Pikachu to do in the climax. So without these parade balloons with the gas in them, there's nothing for Pikachu to do. I mean, it's, I mean, I suppose we could have Pikachu and Tim fighting in the office together, but it feels like the whole end was written so that we could have two battles going on just because that's what happens in these types of movies nowadays. Yeah, you it, it's doing what it knows a Hollywood movie needs to do, and it doesn't necessarily feel like a Pokemon movie at this point. But I will say, Miss Norman's kind of freaky. Like, those eyes, right? When he's battling that Ditto, particularly when the Ditto turns into a Lucy form and keeps attacking him, kind of upsetting. I think there's enough here to make small children cry, anyway. Those eyes freaked me the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it resolved very easily, and maybe that's a detriment, or maybe that's exactly what it needs to be. Knock it off the guy's head, and he can no longer control Mewtwo, and Mewtwo can be who he is, and we can find out that he... Again, he's walking this line. Humanity is totally evil, but I did like Harry, and I do like a few of you, so I'm not really wanting to do anything too terrible. I feel like Mewtwo was bigger than this movie's needed to be. I mean, I get that people like Mewtwo, but he's so super powerful. I mean, the whole big thing for Pikachu in this climax is he finally learns how to do his power and knock Mewtwo into a building, and Mewtwo just brushes it off. I mean, that's not very triumphant for Pikachu. Not only that, though, he didn't do the thunder attack. He did some other trick that Tim told him to do. It's really what they're trying to tell us is that he and Tim are becoming closer and closer. Because right before this climax, we saw them split up. Pikachu was in a self-hating mode. He went off crying, singing the original theme song to the TV show, and saying, woe is me. And then realizing when he got to the crash site that Mewtwo didn't cause it, that it had to have been Howard. The subtext is that Tim and Pikachu need each other. And the fact that it's going to be revealed here now by Mewtwo that Pikachu is the dad, it's kind of nice. It's the right human message for this story. You know, if I came across a talking dog, I'd probably be a little weirded out and maybe not have full I would faculties. hope very weirded out. <laughs> but... If the dog was talking in the voice of my father, yeah. and this dog just looked at me and went, with her mouth? I think I would know. <laughs> I think I would know that was my dad. Especially <laughs> if your dad sounds like Ryan Reynolds. I know you haven't seen him in five or six years or whatever, but you're going to recognize your dad's voice. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, it, well, you know, we, here we are trying to apply ourselves into this role of... Uh, let's stick with it's nice. It's nice the <laughs> idea that this child that didn't know his father realized he needed him and had an opportunity to reconnect even when it looked like all hope was lost. The thing that freaks me out is where was the body? Like, okay, so he's put back in the body like from the morgue? Like, is this zombie dead? Like, that's kind of gross that like this car accident happened. The father died. His soul went into Pikachu. And then it's been at least a couple days, maybe a week. And he's in his old body again. I think it smelled. Well, I don't get why Mewtwo is like, the sun had to come. But I'm guessing that this is a new body built out of the DNA of the sun. Like, some magic happened. This is not the corpse body. And in fact, I don't believe there is a corpse body. The body was never found, so it was never in a morgue. Okay, I didn't hear that line. Mew took it. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, he kind of like 
laser beam vaporized the body. Well, then he could he didn't need to do this, right? He no. could have just made the guy healed. <laughs> right. He could have just healed the human and he could be a human still. I thought he moved him out of his body because his body died. I thought that was what the choice that was made was this car accident is going to kill him unless I move him into another living being. So I'll put him in Pikachu until something. Right. These are those details that like on the surface you can just skim over. But if you start digging, it all unravels. Let me ask, do you think it was part of the original ending that his dad would remain Pikachu? And then Ryan Reynolds either consented to this cameo or they really felt like they needed to show us the actor in this final scene. It's weird because if you find out that Detective Pikachu is the father's spirit in a Pokemon body, to me, that's nightmarish. You don't want that to be the end of it is my dad's now my pet. You know, it's just you got to get him back. Sounds like an 80s sitcom to me. I think it could go five seasons if this were 1986. Hey, my mother, the car only made two episodes. Yeah, well, I mean, there was no such thing as syndicated television back then. I think that there would have been an audience for something so weird. But if this movie does as well as it's thinking, and I think that, yes, globally, You've told me how much those animated movies make. This thing globally has already made its budget back, and I think it's going to make a lot of money and there will be a sequel. How do you get Ryan Reynolds back in the Pikachu? Yeah, you figure out, you contrive some way. Obviously, when they go forward, he's the voice of Pikachu again. You do not have the actor in the movie. But that's, again, contrivance is the way to go. The movie makers have said, maybe the next movie wouldn't have Pikachu or Tim. Shh. They're talking about a Pokemon cinematic universe where they could have different stories with different Pokemon and then they'd all come together sometime. No Pikachu. It's never happened and it will never happen. Right. That's that's some hubris that I don't think they understand their audience a little bit then. No way on that. I can admit that maybe they'll have Pikachu with a new human. Like, I don't know that Justice Smith is going to be getting <laughs> the phone call again or Ryan Reynolds, but Pikachu will be there. Well, will you? Justin Stewart, do you recommend Pokemon Detective Pikachu? Justin. This one's weird. I mean, had we not been in this series and I just decided to take my kids to this movie, I can say, yes, I had a fun time. I didn't necessarily understand it all. But, you know, having been with this series for a while, there's a few things in here that I could pick out from having just watched all these other movies. And I enjoyed a lot of those things on screen. But I also had the experience of going with my son who has been a Pokemon fan, and getting his perspective on it. He was picking out things that I, you know, even having watched these wasn't picking out. He noticed that Tim's shirt kept changing throughout the movie. I don't know anyone home and changed it, but he had the unknown symbols on his shirt, and it was a different one in a lot of different scenes. Weird. I'm not sure if there was something trying to be said there, a secret message, or it was just a little Easter egg like, hey, these are the unknown symbols, check it out. But I think what this movie needs to do is it needs to work for kids who grew up with Pokemon, and it also needs to make sense to people who only know Pokemon from the Pokemon Go app. And on those two levels, I think it works. I think if you're a fan of Pokemon growing up and it was because of those movies, this isn't any worse than those movies that you grew up watching. It's just live action now and looks much prettier. So if that's who you are, this movie's going to work for you. If you're somebody who's been playing Pokemon Go for the last three years and you're only familiar with these characters because of the app, it's fun to see them in a movie. But as a movie itself, we kind of talked about it. There's all sorts of plot holes. There's all sorts of contrivances. Like, I didn't understand why Mewtwo all of a sudden said, yes, I hate humans, but 
I guess I will save this one just to say it. I mean, it didn't make too much sense just from a movie thing. So I feel like I've been harsh on this series, even though I haven't hated it. So I'm going to give this one a slight recommend. Wow. Just because I think it works for what the whole series has been trying to do. And if this is the culmination of where we're coming out, I did not hate this movie. I would see it again. It was funny. It was breezy. Yeah, I'm giving it a slight recommend. So best one of the series. Yeah, the most enjoyable. Stuart. You know, I didn't go haiku. I figured with this being a more Americanized movie, I would make my review that way as well. And that's my overall thought is I think it's a really nice marriage of American style and and Hollywood blockbuster entertainment with the Japanese Zen aesthetic. That tranquility of the creatures remains preserved. The company did not sell their property to Hollywood executives for them to turn into characters. There's something about these creatures that remain at arm's length. You'll never get to know them. The only one we talk to is really Ryan Reynolds. It's not Pikachu. We never get to know Pikachu. They keep it so that it's really about the human experience engaging with Pokemon. It's not a Muppet movie or a Looney Tunes movie where the creatures are the stars. And that, to me, feels Japanese, it feels unique, and it feels right that they preserve that balance. And yet there is Hollywood elements here, sometimes too much. There's some convolutions. They, we've all talked about how they could have made this story easier. Young ones are definitely not going to catch it all. They're not going to understand everything that's going on. I don't think I understood it all. But I do think that there's enough here that if you are a Pokemon fan, and only if you're a Pokemon fan, are you going to groove to this? I think that it works as... A children's franchise. It's probably as good as that Power Rangers reboot they had a couple years ago of Goosebumps. This guy made the Goosebumps movie. It's like that. It's a little better than the Turtles reboot. It's going to be better than Sonic. I'll make that prediction as well. Sonic the Hedgehog. We got that coming this Thanksgiving. I'm going to give it a mild recommend. And that's coming from me. Not the guy playing a character that loves Pokemon, but from the guy that has tried to understand that phenomenon and see if this works. I'm going to say it does. It'll work for you. See, I figured you graded all the other movies on a bit of a curve, an imagined curve. Yeah. And I figured this one, because it's a real movie with big budget and in theaters and going up against Endgame, you wouldn't grade on a curve. So if you had given it a not recommend, I'd have had to call you out on it. But I'm glad to see you recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the story of this movie is a mess. I really do. I think that... It went through too many revisions and there were too many cooks in the kitchen saying exactly what this film needed to be. I don't feel like we see one person's vision. But whoever's vision merged the world of Pokemon and humans did so well. You said this is only good for Pokemon fans and I I have to ask myself, am I one? It's now a, a existential crisis of... Would you call me a Pokemon fan? If you spent thousands of dollars on Pokemon Go rats, yes. <laughs> that was years ago. It doesn't matter. You are the, again, this is all, everyone is years ago. I feel like the audience they're speaking to is an outreach to estranged children. This whole story is about reaching out to children that you haven't connected with in a long time. And yeah, you're one of those kids, Arnie. <laughs> Well, it's good to be a millennial for a change. So what I can say, though, is it's not a great movie by any means, but I smiled for two thirds of the film. And if I'm happy for two thirds of the film and I'm laughing with it and I'm talking on the way out, 
about how cute it was when Pikachu was massaging Psyduck's feet, trying to get him to not explode, and then goads him into exploding. I thought he, I thought Psyduck was going to, like, literally explode. Like, he pops once and he's dead. I didn't realize it was some psychic explosion that Psyduck then wakes up from with a headache. But I liked the world they built. I would like to go back to the world they built and have a better story there. With or without Ryan Reynolds. I went for Ryan Reynolds. I stayed for Treco and Apom and Mr. Mime. Wow. All right. It's a recommend. Yeah, three for three. First time in this series. It's nice. In the video game retrospective, it's the ultimate rare <laughs> card. I mean, I don't know how we found this. It's really been a horrible, horrible idea to review movies based on video games. <laughs> it was your idea. It was uh, It was my idea as a way of, of patching the Band-Aid of what do we do for a year if we're not covering Stephen King. And we're back in Stephen King mode. Pretty soon we'll be getting to it and all the books and stories leading up to that. But yeah, this is, I would say at this point, the best video game movie I think I'm tiptoeing towards that ledge. Yeah. Trying to think of one that was executed with as much love. Yes. I mean, here's the thing is that it does everything right for the people that are expecting it. You know, they kept it for the heart. You know, like they tried to tell an emotional story, which the Pokemon anime always does, always ends people crying and getting emotional. That that was where they wanted it to be. They didn't turn it into action movie fodder. And it would have been very easy to pump up the characters, have them all wisecracking, have Ryan Reynolds be Ryan Reynolds and show a lot of sass and forget that human element. And instead, they stay true to what they made with that anime and with that game, I guess. I still haven't played that game, but I think this is the best one. Maybe. I think I'll agree with you. If I were ranking all the video game movies that we have watched... This one is the first one to be fully competent. It's slightly better than the equally convoluted Tomb Raiders I recommended. I was about to say the Tomb Raider reboot, Need for Speed, and some of the Resident Evils are the only ones that could give it a run for its money. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that after our semester of Pokemon studies, I'd much rather go back and take the 202 class of Pokemon than go back to the Uva Bowl School of Filmmaking which I'm afraid we'll be going back to. <laughs> yeah, we still got Blood Rain and In the Name of the King and Far Cry. Yeah, there's plenty of Uvo. We put it on hold. We'll get back to it probably in the fall at the same time that we'll be getting Angry Birds and Sonic the Hedgehog and other things that will hurt us deeply. <laughs> that Sonic trailer, man. I leaned over to Marjorie because Marjorie went into the theater and said she was excited to see Pokemon, but when she sat down in the chair, she said, this movie's really going to suck, isn't it? And during the Sonic trailer, I leaned over to her and said, that movie is the movie you're afraid you're about to watch. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, even the cameraman for this movie, he was like, yeah, I was offered Sonic, but I didn't do it. And <laughs> it does look bad. I mean, like, that's, it does. It looks really crappy. I mean, physically, literally, it looks really bad. Well, Sonic's going for that same audience. Kids that were around in 95, 96 and had that as a property. And it just does not look like they're giving it the same love letter or treatment that Pokemon gave its fans. The DP, John Matheson, said uh, part of the reason is that they shot 
Sonic on digital, and he insisted on putting Detective Pikachu on film. And so that's the detail work and the why it, it looks as good as it is, is that's still that film medium that they're able to finesse in ways that digital can't. Well, we're going to step away from video games and go back to a different series that's doing a pickup next week, John Wick 3. Yeah, the franchise that surprisingly just keeps giving, you know, it's one of those that felt like from the onset was just another stupid action movie, but feel like it's got legs that I never would have expected. So I'm, I'm excited to go back and see where John Wick is now in his third installment. I've got to rewatch the first two, especially the second one, because it built all that mythology up. But I remember really liking it. And I hear this has the best action of all of them. I'm really excited for John Wick. And then the week after that, we go back to the toy box for Toy Story, a highly requested retrospective series on the main feed. As for the donation feed, in case I'm getting too old for this Pokemon shit, this Friday, Lethal Weapon. Yes, the classic 80s action movie that does have an installment linked to the summer of 1989. Lethal Weapon 2 came out that summer and became an enormous hit, changed action movies. But really, we got to cover the whole series. We can't just do Lethal Weapon 2. So for Platinum, if you're able to go to that level, we're going to cover all four Lethal Weapon movies starting that week. You can find out all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donates and including how to become a patron and get our last Friday review of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So, listeners, thank you for all the feedback during this Pokemon series. I know that I wasn't the only one kicking and screaming as we went into Pokeworld, and we've gotten tremendous feedback from you guys, and that's really heartening. I mean... I never thought a decade since our first retrospective, I'd ever hear the words best series you've ever done again, <laughs> but we've got that feedback. That's terrific. And yeah, I didn't know what the response would be. I know that I threw myself hard in it. I'm glad I'm not emerging to get punched in the face <laughs> by people telling me, why did you bother? Uh, yeah, we worked hard on that. And I'm glad this show's found its audience. It was kind of fun. I got to say, you know, it was fun to connect with childhood the way that this series has allowed us to do. Yeah, I'm already feeling a little bit nostalgic for this series. It was, you know, going into it like both of you said, it felt like it was going to be quite a lot of work. But you know what? Looking back on it, it was fun to dive into this world and check it out for what it is. That said, I'm not anxious to sign up for the Dragon Ball Z retrospective series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. There's still Yu-Gi-Oh! So, Justin Stewart, thank you for playing Pokemon with me for these many weeks. Listeners, thank you for giving us a shot at the title here and sticking with us week after week. And until next time, I'm taking my Pokeballs and going home. Game over. did the right thing? I know we did the right thing, Jesse. And it feels great. Well, this is it then. Oh. Let's not say goodbye. Let's just say we're gonna die. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Thank you all for everything. Maybe I'll see you again. Someday. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Case closed, but still open until I solve it.
Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I could use pants. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. There's another credit on Pikachu's charge account. We've got to grab it. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Take the treasure and put it there. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I placed a personal ad. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Yeah, you're right. I can do it. I'm the chosen one. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's always the hero. We're always a zero. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Humans may have created me, but they will never enslave me. This cannot be my destiny. Now playing credits, read by Brock. Did you just understand me? Oh my god! You can understand me! Stop! I've been so lonely! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. That's a twist. That's very twisty. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I know you can't understand me, but I will electrocute you! But once a happy ending... Team Rocket signing off again! I was at Target the other day, and Marjorie wanted a talking Pikachu, so I bought her the talking Pikachu, and it's got both Ryan Reynolds' voice and uh, Pika Pika voice, and you can change its modes. All right. But there was a Mr. Mime next to it, and I stood there in Target for like a minute trying to figure out how I made it talk. Where's the button? (laughs) (laughs) That would be a fun joke for them to do. They could like actually put on there with real sound bites from the movie. (laughs) I could not believe my own stupidity.
I, I bought a two-pack, man. I got a Detective Pikachu and a Bulbasaur. Oh, I saw that one. And uh, I saw the Detective Pikachu with the Psyduck, which would have been mine. But Marjorie wanted the talking one, and she only wanted one. <laughs> and I get Ryan's appeal. It's just I have a trigger where I don't like to see immature middle-aged men. Because I've just... that's just. And yet you podcast with me! Well, <laughs> let's, let's take it off the therapy couch and just say that... For lots of people that I have known, it is a trigger for relationships in my life that make me go, oh, I wish you could grow up. And I'm not thinking of you. I'm just, <laughs> just to clarify and clear the air and keep this podcast from being totally derailed here. It is not you. It's more just, again, at this point in my life, it's something I don't always find charming. And I think if you've had roommates that are like that, you won't think they're so charming in real life either. While we're talking about the trailers at the beginning, can I just find and kill whoever made that dog snuff film, A Dog's <laughs> Purpose 2? I mean, my God, I was crying. Of oh, the f- trailer, you see dogs die. What is What is this? I'm also just horrified to think that, like, A Dog's Purpose is to follow you around for your whole life in different reincarnations. That's No, I, come on. Tyler is convinced that there's always a movie called A Dog's Life or dog's trail or whatever out there and they just keep putting it out with new actors around the footage of a dog yeah i really always feel bad for the once legitimate actors like in this case dennis quaid now having to do this the dog's purpose is to die repeatedly on film while you watch yeah that is oh my god yeah it's pretty awful we can do this franchise as soon as we get done with video games you know what i can't do that you guys you justin and jacob can go watch the dog Nope, I'm not subscribing to the Hallmark channel to get the whole series. (laughs) At any rate, we are taking a break from video games. Next week, we're, I guess, keeping it still in the realm of children's entertainment, however. Toy Story. Wow, that's fast. I didn't realize we were at Toy Story. Aren't we? I think so, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. no. We got John Wick. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, let me reset. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I, we haven't even recorded it. It's yeah, coming out in I know. nine days. I forget it because I'm not on it. That's why I'm just like, oh, right. I don't have anything until Toy Story. John Wick 3. Yes, Justin, you, I, and Jacob will be there to talk about a different dog snuff film. <laughs> and then, week after that, is that Toy Story? I thought it was. Yes. Wow, well, we got to get that recorded. I know. <laughs> 